to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we're discussing Season 9, Episode 16, which is titled A Thousand Cranes. The episode aired on February 20th, 2003. Lauren was going that week 20 years ago. Uh, I just want you to know that this episode title is a perfect setup for some sort of Frasier joke, like a family reunion. Like Thousand Cranes, Fraser Crane. Uh, ha, 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 ha. Anyway, mm-hmm. with that being said, Dolly the Sheep, the first mammal to ever be successfully cloned, dies at the age of six due to lung cancer. She produced six lambs and was, by all accounts, a complete scientific success. The study of her birth and life has resulted in other large mammal species being successfully cloned as well, including pigs, bulls, deer, and horses. Her body was preserved via taxidermy and is currently on display at the National Museum of Scotland in Edinburgh. And a... Whatever. Before the Scots come for you, they will. No, you're right. You're right. Edinburgh. 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 I'm sorry, Scots. I apologize sincerely. Um, Otherwise, a beloved classic game, Final Fantasy Tactics Advance, because that's not enough words, makes its debut on the Game Boy Advance. It's Square Enix. They're going to do I know. what they're going to do. There's this game, be... I, I haven't played it in probably 15 years, but mm-hmm. I remember it being really good when I, when I played it way back when. Cool. I have like never touched a Final Fantasy game in my life, aside from playing well, 14 for like three minutes. This is Fire Emblem meets Final Fantasy. So if that intrigues you at all. Does does not matter in the least to me. Um, Daniel looks like he's about to vomit even hearing that combination. But uh, Daredevil, the superhero movie starring Ben Affleck, Jennifer Garner, Michael Clark Duncan, and Colin Farrell debuts and takes the number one spot at the box office. I was trying to make a joke about like being blind and something and it just wasn't. I had a really, I've had a really bad day today, so the you juices could, weren't, the Creo juices weren't flowing as well. You could just say number one. I don't see it. Ah, uh, uh, And all I have by Jennifer Lopez featuring LL Cool J is still your number one song. We are not dragging on with the jokes. This headlines, Daniel. What else was on? At eight p.m., Friends, the one with the boob job. Sick. <laughs> Cool. Uh, at 8.30, a Friends rerun. Uh, at 9, Will and Grace uh, checking in with part three of the four-part episode that shall not be named. Uh, this one's subtitled Bye Bye Beardy. Uh, and at 9.30, Scrubs with the episode My Karma. This week's episode had 22.3 million viewers tuning in, directed by Jonathan Kaplan doing his 28th out of 40. And his previous ones from this season are No Strings Attached, One Can Only Hope, and Chaos Theory. And written by David Zabel doing his 7th out of 44. And his previous ones from this season as a writer include Hindsight and Walk Like a Man. And no Romano this week. Our previously on is brought to us by Chen. This was one where Lizzie and I had to do a double listen to make sure. And then we go into Carter is in his locker peeking at the engagement ring he has for Abby. When Susan bursts in complaining about her day. And he turns around and is holding the ring. And she goes, I love you too, Carter, but it's over. <laughs> he's like, no, I'm proposing tonight. What do you think? And she's like, it's beautiful, nice rock. And he's like, oh, it was my great grandma's. She's like, well, at least someone's getting engaged. Yeah. Also, I forgot to mention the top. Are y'all ready to talk about some racism? Oh wow, that's a goddamn segue there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and also, apologies if you hear any jet planes in the background of Lauren and I's audio. The Chicago Air and Water shows this weekend. 
And those Blue Angels, they are doing their test flights right now, of course, at 7 o'clock on a Wednesday night, naturally. All right, anyway, uh, Chen is chatting with Luca in the ambulance bay as she walks over to Docs and asks him to join her, and he's learning all the he's learning all the inappropriate words, not all the appropriate words, all the inappropriate words to not say at work, like what's uh, schmuck, putz, poots, <laughs> poots. And she's like, no, putz. He goes, poots. Putz. I like the way he says putz. <laughs> Those were the two big ones. That they oh, uh, what was the other? Peckerhead. I think yeah, was the other one. Peckerwood or something. Peckerwood. Yep. Yeah. And I'm like, come on. You can't. This is really all you can do on NBC. Yes. You can, you can do better than that. Um, but no one's at docks and the register is open. So they're all like, uh, oh no, what's going on? And then they look and they turn, they start looking around and someone is sitting in a booth, uh, with a gunshot wound to the head and there's gray matter all over and the just mm. not very good. And then Chen follows some bloody footsteps back to the freezer and then with a very chilling use of the song, good vibrations, like, peak this is perfect perfect music for it it's they they do a really cool audio effect where they make it kind of echoey at one point too yeah which adds to it and i'll fin i'll finish this first but then i but then i have, I have a note about the set dressings here um luca opens the freezer and there are three dead bodies uh one gunshot wound through the head uh her name is trina she's somebody from the diner we don't know exactly who but she is still breathing but barely and i have to note you know all this murder aside, there is on the above the time clock. It, there's a thing that says on time equals 15 minutes late. And people, that is fucking bullshit. <laughs> that is absolute bullshit. They want you to be there at nine. You can be there at nine. Like, ah, mm. and you, I, sorry, it just made me irrationally angry because it brought back so many goddamn memories of my retail days. Ugh. There's a lot of these in this episode. We're we're just gonna have to go off on tangents. For yeah, there's a. a I, I'm gonna be very very angry this episode about very very small details <laughs> that no stuff, one else cares about. There's stuff we should be angry about and talk about, but no, we're gonna talk about the minutia that does not matter instead. Chicago geography. <laughs> I didn't remember yeah, any of this. People were murdered, and it's all very it's all very bloody. I didn't remember any of this happened. <laughs> like I had completely blanked this whole like. Uh, this whole thing out which is also this is essentially this episode is the the end of docs basically like it's not the last time it will appear necessarily but it's the last time that you should think of it as a functioning entity like it's mm, not gonna gotcha. it's not gonna be a part of things anymore until it has its like spectacular farewell before the end of the season so we're almost so, done with docs oh we get the we get the, we get the convenience store by the end of this season uh, i don't know i don't know if it's an immediate switch but like we get we get the end of docs let's just put it that way so, Daniel, when you said you didn't remember this, I thought you meant, like, from when you did notes. And I was like, really, my dude? I didn't realize you meant, like, from last watch. Yes, no. And I was very confused. No, conceptually, <laughs> like, in big picture, I did not remember this from the last watch through. I just completely scrubbed this out from memory. And, like, I um, I feel bad for the person, uh, what is it, Trina or whatever. It's like, yeah. I thought for sure as I was doing cast notes that this was going to be somebody that we've just been ignoring for nine years. No, they literally okay. created the, they they literally created this character just to like give her a really bad day. <laughs> like that's it. Uh, yeah. 
but we will learn much more about what happened over at Docs throughout the episode. Uh, this, of course, takes us into the intro with, you might imagine, bangs uh, when you're finding, you know, three dead bodies and a, a waitress clinging to life. You, uh, you go in with bangs. Uh, we come out of the intro uh, to Maggie making tea at Abby's as she talks about where Eric might have been. Um, the I don't understand the first bullet here. Okay, so, uh, so they're talk they're talking nostalgia stuff, and Maggie's like, "Oh, he might have gone here because we had some family friends in Michigan. Remember when they took you fishing in the Grand Rapids? No, uh, no. So, so, th- so this I've, was a so this was a personal vendetta for you this, against uh, well, Michigan for, culture. First off, it's just yeah, they're. I can see how without the tangent of why they're talking about it, it's really fucking weird because I didn't put whatever but yeah no i the egregious thing here was that they call grand rapids the grand rapids like she might have meant the grand river but to my michigan knowledge and jen correct me if i'm wrong we do not have a body of water that is specifically called the grand rapids so i was just minutely horrified i could be a terrible michigander and there is something there but my ear is blood anyway go ahead I just want, if in the, in all future iterations of the notes, whenever this comes up again in any form, I just want like a subtext on the back end yeah. of it that's just like Michigan grievance, so that okay. I can so that I can know <laughs> to leave it alone and let you do it because I don't understand Michigan culture or any of your. Grievances. I love how you say Michigan culture like it's some exotic weird thing of the you, Midwest. You Michiganders are super weird, even amongst what? the Midwest folks. You just, you just described the, the entire brand of Michigan right there. Exotic, weird, Midwestern niche culture. What? I... <laughs> no, we're not. No. Because you don't have, like, you have, like, a weirdly weird, like, rural. You don't have, like, too much, like, farmland like most of the Midwest does. It's all our forest land. Yeah, it's all forest yeah. land. So. You're kind of, you're kind of bougie Midwest. Like you're, you're, you're Midwest, but like with a, with an air of superiority about you're you. The, I was saying you're the place that everyone goes to vacation. Yeah, away you're the, from you're the rest the, of the Midwest. You're the Hamptons of the Midwest. Like, but yeah. what about like, people go up north to like Wisconsin and stuff too. It's not just yeah, well, yeah but they that, don't but because Michigan they can't afford to go to Michigan. Yeah, <laughs> you go to Michigan Wisconsin because lakes. you can't afford Michigan. That's that's all that is. You go Trust to Wisconsin me. because you can't you can't afford to I live, spend a week in Traverse City. I live as I live and breathe right now, twenty five minutes from the Wisconsin border. I've it's been months. Like I don't go over there unless I have to. Like it sucks. Like nobody wants to go to Wisconsin. Sorry, Wisconsin, if you're listening. But you know, like, the whole just, state of Wisconsin. Just, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, nothing personal. But you know, it's just, it's, it's, Milwaukee, just keep sending Milwaukee us your seems curves, nice, and we'll be good. I don't Milwaukee. know. Uh, Listeners, chime in. I didn't think Michigan was all that fucking weird, but I'm learning a whole lot of uh, well, anti be- anti mitten bias on the pod right now. It's Col- not anti mitten. Yeah. It's uh, no, I'm pro Michigan. It's just cult members never think the cult is weird. You know? Yeah. Like that's when you're when you're in it, like wearing the Nikes and drinking the Kool Aid. Like you're never like, oh, are we weird? You're always just like, no, I'm. Uh, it really upsets me when you do the fingers. Like when. The- <laughs> When he, she's holding it for, for the listener at home. She's holding up the mitten. I'm, and then I'm doing aggressively the mitten thing to make Daniel uncomfortable. Anyway. Like so yeah, the Grand Rapids, Daniel carry on with their conversation, please. <laughs> oh boy. So uh, Abby tells uh, Maggie that Carter proposed, but she says that he didn't really mean it. You know that they were on the roof and there was a helicopter and yada, yada, yada. Uh, she then gets a call from somebody uh, informing her about what's happened at docks and that she's probably going to, 
get, gonna run in and assist you know do help out they're they're gonna be slammed here so uh she starts to leave and says oh you know i'll uh when i get off of work i'll drive you to the bus station and then she doubles back and is like actually if you want to stay a few more days that would be nice too and maggie kind of politely declines and is like well you know i should be home in minnesota what if your brother you know what if eric decides to show up there so um we then see uh, patients, uh, p- patient singular being moved from docs to, to ER, considering the rest of them are all dead. Uh, patient, uh, patient and victims, let's put it that way, being moved from docs to ER, and the police have been brought in too. There's a detective trying to get information from Trina. I have no idea if I have uh, mentioned this person before. He sounded vaguely familiar, but I, seeing as it's his last appearance, I felt like I should grab it. The detective here who is following uh, the gurney with Trina on it into the ER Um he is uh, played by actor Brad Blaisdell, and he is making his uh, final appearance out of three since 2000. This guy was also uh, – he made his first appearance in All in the Family, so he was presumably involved in the fallout of the Lucian Carter situation. Um, so he has uh, appeared in stuff like the ill-fated Matthew Broderick Inspector Gadget movie, uh, The Negotiator, and Clean Slate, and he did unfortunately pass away in 2018. Also, I would also like to point out what might be either a gross miscarriage of medical care or uh, maybe just a really bad time timeline editing uh, error. But when Chen and Kovach go into docs, it's still very much nighttime and still very dark. And as they're loading Trina up on the gurney and carry, you know, rolling her across the street to get uh, into the ER, it is not just like sunrise. It is midday bright sun. Like, right? it is, like, a solid 12 hours has elapsed between those two scenes. And so it's like they either let her bleed out on the floor of that freezer for, you know, 12 hours, or they just weren't paying attention and had it dark in the first scene and bright as all hell in the second scene. Look, so. these people have deadlines. They need to get this shit done. No, trust but me. I sure, I, I sure I, hope I, someone got fired for that blood. Right. Though. No, I get it. I get it. Uh, anyway, uh, Sean shows up to greet Susan, and he just kind of makes himself cozy on a gurney as Susan checks on him. Uh, he's a little dehydrated. Uh, he's going he's going on his next round of chemo in a couple of days, and he's going home. So, so this, okay. to me, just seems like a total 180 from kind of where they end up on the episode. Because at the end of the episode, my understanding is he's just essentially in hospice, and he's kind of done. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's so, very, very so, much where he ends the episode. So it's just very strange. It's like, oh, I'm going for chemo in a few days to, oh, we're getting my hospice bed and I'm done. Mm-hmm. So just random aside there for continuity's sake. But we then go over to Pratt playing basketball with Gallant and some other guys at the Y. And we see tensions rising between the teams. Uh, Pratt cuts his hand when he gets knocked into and obviously starts running at the guy that fouled him. Just... You know, big testosterone, whatever, basketball, hoorah, fun time. Um, so he, important to note here, when he cuts his hand, he wipes it on his white shirt. That his will, white tank top. His white tank top, which will come into play here in a bit. Um, but then we see Jerry turn up the volume as the news is covering the shooting. And I do love how, like, when they do these little news reports... They do it obviously as like, oh, a diner near County General, whatever. It's not like, oh, Doc Magoo's. Like, it's very the nonchalant way mm-hmm. they would mention stuff yeah. like this in passing. So it's I also, did it. I also love that they just use actual NBC5 newscasters. Mm-hmm. 
That was that was always been that's always one of my favorite touches in the entire show. Yep. Um and then Carter asks Abby if she wants to go for sushi tonight and she's kind of bummed that Maggie's leaving. She thought that like maybe they were going to do something and they're like okay, we'll figure it out. And then Susan's like sushi? Really? He goes, "I've got a plan. Got to do misdirection. It's fine." We'll first, see. First of all, what's wrong with sushi? Like Sushi's the best. Yeah. yeah, I love sushi. Lauren, we need to get sushi, Sam. Um, okay, when we but, get back from Michigan. Okay. See, we're vacationing in Michigan. See. Okay, we're, vaca- but it we're can vacationing. Always, it can always circle back to the mitten, though. Like, there's always we're, a... <laughs> we're vacationing in the wrist, okay? It's hey, not that cool. It's still a <laughs> lake house on a, on a decent-sized lake. The wrist Carlton. <laughs> anyway chen is asking trina what happened as they do a central line uh, chen says she may have seen the guys getting away but she, then but she's like uh i don't know then chen why would you say anything god detectives are pressing her for more details so she's like no oh, i guess it it the Black, it's like it may have been tan or something they were or, yeah they were talking they, about the yeah. car they may have they might have been black i'm not sure yeah. Yeah, they were in a are, black, or like a tan or gold four by four, and the, yeah. one of them may have been black. Yeah. I don't, yeah, and I don't, and, oh, I don't really, I don't really fault her for that though, because I, I no. feel like it was, it's just like an interrogation. Like they're they're leading her down that road. Like they're they're asking leading questions, and they're doing it in a very like repetitive, uh, persistent sort of way. Especially when she's in the middle of trying to like negotiate this very complex, very high stress trauma, like. I, I'm not surprised that she eventually just fumble fucks around to get to the answer that they were looking for to begin with. Like they started at that answer and then asked backwards ass questions to get to the, the answer they started with. So, I mean, I, I don't necessarily fault her for that. No. And they, they talk about it in this episode and I really appreciate that they don't pull the punches discussing exactly her response here. Right. So, uh, but there's oh, two, there's two very much oh hey it's that guys that we that we recognize Michael Pena and Meredith's dad from Grey's Anatomy. Can I tell the story real quick about when you paused this? Thatcher Gray, excuse me, I, I need to use his Christian name. Yeah. What? So Lizzie pauses it and goes, "Oh hey," and I was like, "Oh yeah, Michael Pena," and she goes, "I was talking Thatcher Gray because you we paused it and they were both in the shot." Yeah. And she's like, "Oh, that is Michael Pena." So like we were talking about two different oh hey it's that guys in the same. Uh, pause, which I just thought was very funny. Mm. Mm. Yes. Uh, so the two two officers here, one gets a name, the other doesn't. Uh, the uh, Mitch, who uh, we'll find out that's his name later. That's uh, Jeff Perry, and he has uh, appeared in stuff like Wild Things, Nash Bridges, and as Lizzie mentioned, Grey's Anatomy. Uh, and the other one, who is just cop. Uh, he is played by the much more famous Michael Pena, who uh, appears in stuff like American Hustle, End of Watch, uh, and Ant-Man. The biggest crime that Ant-Man Quantumania co- committed was not having Michael Pena or any of the or any of their crew. Oh, he's not in it? In that movie. No, he's not in that one. I, no. f- I kind of feel like it should just be standard operating procedure for the MCU at this point because there's so many goddamn movies and TV shows that they should have. Instead of a post-credit scene, they should have a pre-credit scene where it's just his character catching you Wrapping up on up. all the shit that, yes. that has happened since the last movie. Honestly, right. yes. That would be perfect. Like a, you, put a quarter, you put a quarter in, you got to hear the whole song. Just the previously on, just have that at the beginning before right. every single movie. 
I dig Absolutely. it. I would, I would like a hundred percent be, I'd be a hundred percent more likely a hundred times zero is still zero kids. A uh, hundred <laughs> times more likely uh, to catch up on the MCU in that case. Or you could at least just watch all of those and kind of have an idea of what people were talking about. Yeah, sure. Great. Uh, zero. I like that. A hundred times zero is still zero. Nice. Uh, anything to not talk about this next part. Uh, Pratt, Pratt and Gallant get pulled over by the L on their way back to the hospital. And of course, they're in a car similar to the one that Chen identified. And as they're being pulled over and like the cops are like, we're looking for, we're looking about a shooting. Where are you guys headed? Where are you coming from? You know, being real forceful with them. Uh, Michael Pena just sees a bloody shirt in the trunk from when Pratt was playing basketball, which uh, I don't think he can just go in the trunk. No, Pratt says, you know, search the trunk. Search search the the car, that's right. Search the car. I got nothing to hide so we can get going. Yeah, that's true. He does give that consent just to get them out. And then, of course, there's the bloody shirt, which means they now have cause to take them into the station. Fuck. So they are then getting questioned. Before they get get questioned at the station, though, we do get the... The highly upsetting Go uh, for it. visual, uh, speaking as somebody in, who currently lives in the Twin Cities, mm-hmm. uh, the highly upsetting visual of uh, Gallant and Pratt on the ground and Pratt getting his neck stepped on by one of the yep. cops. Uh, not great. I mean, it's it's a it's obviously not great, but like it is. I, I do have to say that like it is a really interestingly shot sequence, like where most mm-hmm. of the time. The camera stays level with Pratt and Gallant, and you are mm-hmm. seeing everything almost from their perspective. So, like, you're seeing, looking up at the cop's face and, like, looking up at things. And, like, it's just, um, it's shot in a really compelling way, I think. And it gives a, an interesting perspective that I don't think you would necessarily see on, like, something like a Law & Order, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. And I just want to note right here for this episode, I'm so glad they don't shy away from this later. I'm so glad they use this as an actual discussion point and not just a moment of drama in the episode. Mm-hmm. Like, I really appreciate that. It fucking sucks, but like, I'm glad that Gallant and Pratt both talk about it later and it's a whole thing. <clears throat> so with, with that being said, they're getting questioned at the police station and Gallant is pissed about this. He's like answering everything, obviously real affronted, real pissed off. And Pratt is just very matter of fact about it. And again, we touch on this later, but it's difference in their upbringings and the environments that they were in. Yeah. Pratt's, yeah, Pratt's more used to this, whereas Gallant was probably raised in a little more sheltered location as an army family where this sort of thing wasn't happening to him on a regular basis. Yeah, my knee-jerk reaction was definitely like, oh, this is weird. This is flipped. Yeah. Like, cause my, my, my knee jerk reaction would have been that Pratt would have been way more militant about it. And that yeah. Gallant would have been the like, po- you know, peacemaker, like, Oh, they, it was just a misunderstanding kind of thing. And no. it was only once I started reading some of the listener responses, you know, from who knows, who knew from listening to perspectives from uh, people of color that uh, you might learn something um, yeah. that I was and like, Oh, this makes total sense now. And they actually do a good job even later in the episode, dropping a line about it too. In case mm-hmm. anybody else was like, that's fucking out of character. But no, it was it was really nice here, A, to get to see the other sides of their characters, and B, to see Gallant actually get pissed about something. Mm-hmm. Always good. And I'm glad that they're they're being more friendly than they were in the beginning. They're finding a, finding a middle ground for their two extremes of their personalities. Mm-hmm. But uh, Carrie then gets off the phone, and she needs Jerry to fax the photo ID info to their police, showing, like, hey... 
these two doctors do in fact work here. They are some of ours. Please send them home. And um, she needs to fax them to the station located at the intersection of Division and Grand. Lizzie, go ahead. Those are two east-west streets. They do not intersect. Fuck you, writers. <laughs> I told you, we had a lot of weird shit to be mad about that wasn't the stuff we should be mad about this episode. Maybe, uh, maybe they put all that stuff in as just like a palate cleanser, you know? like Just a, just to make me specifically angry 20 years later as we're yeah. talking about this episode on a podcast. They, they had your best interests at heart. <sighs> but then... Uh, Carrie tells Susan Sean is being discharged to home hospice care. So completely different from what we talked about earlier, I guess. Um, And mom has asked that Susan keep her distance. So like, hey, Sean's getting discharged. Susan, leave him alone. That's that's what's being asked here. Don't don't fucking come near my kid is essentially what's being told right here. Do you think keeping that? Do you think maybe though that with that information, knowing that the mom has asked him to to keep distance, do you think maybe that the first scene was a little bit of like him trying to put on a brave face for Susan, where he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm going to do yeah. chemo. Like I'm I'm not giving up." Like it could very well have been. We can hope, but um, Gallant and Pratt get into the ER, and uh, Gallant wants to get the cops' name. Oh no, I'm sorry. Was this when they were at the ER or as they were leaving the station? I think it's when they get to the ER. Yeah, but, but that's when they, when they, when they're, I don't know. But yeah, so as they're getting ready to leave the station and getting discharged, Gallant wants to get the cops' names to file a complaint against them because obviously a gross injustice has been enacted, which yes, it has, but Pratt's like, just fucking drop it. Let's just get out of here. I don't care. Like, this doesn't matter. So then we go over to Carrie checking on Trina and she's stable and she tells Luca, oh, you can take it easy for a while. We'll keep you out of traumas if you want. And he goes, if you guys are going to need me anywhere, it's in these traumas. Like, I'm fine. And he has to go see a psychiatrist upstairs after everything that happened. I don't want to see a psychiatrist. Go see one anyway. I'm I'm not going. going. (laughs) Thank you, Lizzie. That's going to be stuck in my head for three weeks now. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Uh, let's go to our first audio clip then. Susan's catching Pratt and Gallant up on things. Senor Chavez, Salvito del Ointment, de su sobrino. Yeah, you shouldn't have let him search the car. No, that's what you do when you're innocent and in a rush. I don't usually ride around with a bloody shirt in my car. Hey, you guys hear what happened? I thought none of our people got hurt. Yeah, Chingbe was first on the scene. Is she okay? A little freaked. I mean, I, I don't get it, man. I don't get how you could just roll over. Yeah, but that's the way it works sometimes. Yeah, if you let it. So what are you going to do, file a lawsuit? Yeah, well, that's one way to fight it. There is no fighting it. Go on. You know, I don't buy that. Carter wants the output on that fort before he leaves. Thanks. Look, we could be perfect, you know, like um, Gandhi. But as soon as the crap goes down, we'll be the first ones laid out yeah. on the street with a gun to our head. Now, where I grew up, you see it every day. And if it happens to you enough, you get the message. You are not equal. You are not a full citizen. You are first, last, and above all, one thing, and one thing only. A suspect. So, this is still incredibly relevant 20 years later. Yep. Uh, Unfortunately. Upsettingly so. But but again, I'm just going to say I'm glad they talk about it. I'm I'm glad they don't just use it as a point of drama early on, that they actually use it as a moment to go, no, this is, this is impacting people. Mm-hmm. And they do it later with a discussion that they have with Lizzie 
too, oh. which is great. But they also get for audio. Good. Yeah. So we, we can enjoy listening to, oh, Miss Corday, I love you. But, but no. But God. Ima- imagine, God damn it. Imagine getting called in to, for, to do like one, not even a full day of work, probably like a morning of work. And it's just so that you can be like the physical representation of, you know, white America. Yeah. And sorry to get us ahead, but we'll get into that. So, yeah, I'm just Pratt said it better than we could. Definitely in 2023. It still hits hard. Mm -hmm. Just. Yeah, it does. It's this is one of those times where like we are much too white to like Mm -hmm. really delve into much beyond surface level other than to just say that it sucks Uh, and that. You know, there. I I wish we I wish we could say we've made more progress than we have. Uh, between between this statement and where we currently sit, like it it feels like all it, it still feels all too relevant twenty years later, and I hate that. Feels like we've gone backwards, if anything. If anything, yeah, and it's not not a good feeling. Uh, but uh, we see we go out to the ambulance bay where Sean is uh, hanging out out there. Uh, Susan walks out to talk to him. Uh, mom, his mom left to go get the hospice stuff set up and is going to come back and pick him up. Uh, and so she's out to have a quick chat with him before that happens. Uh, and he talks about all the things he's daydreamed about being able to do and how stupid he feels. And so she just decides to do a, do a little kidnapping uh, and whisk him off to a, a day out. Yeah, uh, that's fine. Because that's right. the thing you do with a underage cancer patient. Yeah. Like, again, I get it as a TV show. I'm not sitting here and, like, I mean, yes, I am sitting here and, like, picking it apart. But, like, I'm also, I'm I'm not oblivious to the idea of suspension of disbelief. But I also feel like they don't make nearly as big of a deal out of this by the end of the episode as they would if it was right. Real. Like, <laughs> I feel like this would turn out to be a much, much bigger problem than it ends up being. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's uh, fine. Let's. Let's just go for an adventure. Right. Which is just a little quick, you know, getaway. Uh, Maggie then shows up to the ER to meet uh, for lunch, but things are way too busy. So she kind of gets brushed off. Uh, and then we get one of the more bizarre, uh, bizarrely famous one-off patients in the history of the show, uh, where uh, Abby makes a brief stop at a gurney for a patient uh, named Mr. Levine. Uh, we don't do anything with this patient. He's not relevant to the episode. He is not not worth remembering in any way except for the fact that oh by the way he's like an a-list movie star now uh chris pine uh making his first appearance of any kind in anything uh this was his on-screen debut as being this like dopey headed patient in the corner who's like just kind of out of it like that's that's kind of his whole deal drunk drunk five days after a party yeah jj abrams saw him being drunk on the show as like that's our that, that's our Captain Kirk. That's, right? our, that's Kirk. our that's our Kirk. Yep. Uh, you can almost hear the Beastie Boys from here. Uh, he uh, of course is best known for Star Trek 09 and all of its associated uh, sequels, uh, Wonder Woman, uh, and the recent Dungeons and Dragons uh, Honor Among Thieves. Uh, did I put that subtitle in there, or did somebody else? I did. I, of course you did. There, because there's of there's two there's did. two Dungeons and Dragons movies. There's an. There's one that's I, I just called care. Dungeons and I Dragons. Care. I don't care. And uh, there's the recent ones called Honor Among Thieves to separate it from the garbage that was that first movie. Sure. But Honor Among Thieves is fucking great. Yeah, Honor Among Thieves is absolutely fantastic, and everyone should go rent it on their video streaming platform of choice. I was like, there's no way I typed all that out. Like, I would have, <laughs> I would have fallen asleep before I typed that out. Holy shit. All right. 
That makes me feel better. Okay. Uh, we then see uh, Carter chasing Maggie down in the ambulance bay to find her uh, crying. Uh, and he offers to drive her to the station because he's trying to, you know, cosplay as a good son-in-law. All right. So, well, Luca does, in fact, go see the psychiatrist. So let's go hear Luca do a therapy. Dr. Kovach. Dr. Myers. Please. So... What brings you here? Dr. Weaver. She told me to come. Well, why do you suppose she wanted us to meet? You tell me. Well, that's not quite how it works. Hey, you're a doctor. If someone comes to me with a problem, I tell them how to fix it, so... Let's start with you telling me... My problem? What's on your mind? <clears throat> My family died during the war in Croatia. So I came to America. I had a relationship with someone I cared about, which I then ruined. So I started to look for the answers in the wrong places, you know, like sex, drinking, living fast. Killed a patient I should have saved, and then I almost killed a medical student in a car crash. So woke up one morning and everything I thought I had was gone. Gone or broken. So what do you have for that? Well, Dr. Kovach, it's not something that I can really... Yeah, that's what I thought. I should get back to work. Tell me where I showed up. This is a very excellent clip. It's an excellent scene. I pulled it for the clip for this episode, uh, for, the, for the social meds. Uh, but uh, I do have to say that the Luka Kovach mouth sounds are in full effect, and it's only amplified <laughs> when it's audio only. Like when I don't have the when I don't have the visual to accompany it. Like I'm like the, all, all I can. It's not the lilt. It's that his tongue is too big for his mouth, and he keeps like like rubbing his tongue up against the inside of his lips, and I cannot focus on anything else. I've never noticed it before, and I'm so glad you didn't point it out before the clip because <laughs> I will not be able to unhear it. Oh. Uh, that is, that is mouth noises aside, that is such a good clip. I love how he's like, got anything for that. Nope. That's what I thought. Okay, bye. Yeah. When someone, com- when someone comes to me, I tell them what's wrong with them. What the fuck are you doing? Also, I love that he uses the term living fast. Like, how old are you, 80? <laughs> For, I mean, you know, he's he's Croatian. He's in a, a strange man in a strange land. You know, he's he's trying America's trying to land. he's trying to learn the lingo. <sighs> I just like want to start peckerwood and putts, putts. I just want to start using "living fast" for like really mundane things, just to fuck with you guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, Lauren's really mo- re- Lauren's really living fast. Right. Like literally, she's on train going very fast. <laughs> Lauren's idea of what? living fast is like not toasting her bagel all the way and like you know, just very going mundane. to bed. Going to bed at nine thirty. Right. Yeah. <sighs> uh, anyway, so let's be angry some more with our with another audio clip here. Uh, Corday is back, and she's taking the side of the cops. Uh, don't know about that one, Chief, but let's hear her 
Let's hear her show her work. For the complicating the commute this evening, a high-speed chase is currently underway, snarling a two-mile stretch of the I-40. Police are in pursuit of a tan SUV suspected of being connected to the grisly murders of three people early this morning in a coffee shop off South Foundry. A force Do they even consider the collateral damage of a pursuit like that? I was hoping they kill the guys, avoid all the wasted time and money in due process. Not to mention they might have the wrong suspects. Last time I checked, the police were still on Side. And what exactly is our side? Tell her what happened. They laid us out on the sidewalk, they took us in, and they interrogated us. That's terrible. Yeah, the real problem is you guys are both guilty. Guilty of what? DWB, driving while black. Just forget it. The police play the odds just like us. They look for horses, not zebras. Tell me you don't think that's the same thing. Look, it's about percentages. Last time I flew to London, they pulled two Arab men out of the boarding line for a security check. I hate to admit it, it made me feel more secure. You think they pull over two Arabs driving through Highland Park? No, because terrorist acts in Highland Park aren't high on the list of concerns. Oh, but violent crimes by African-Americans certainly is. Like I said, we should drop it. So you really believe racial profiling is a legitimate law enforcement tool? A lot of people do. Okay, I'm going to nitpick two things before we get into why Lizzie is a piece of shit. Um... <laughs> Don't talk about first, yourself like that. First off, there is no I-40 that goes anywhere around Chicago. I do not know that highway, but our interstates that go around us are the following. I-290, I-355, I-90, I-94, I-55, I-57, and oh, there's one more. It's not I-40, though. And I-190. Well, now that we got that cleared up. Now that we got that cleared up. Also, South Foundry, what the fuck is that? That is not a street in Chicago. Nor is it a neighborhood. Like, what is going on here, people? The closest South Foundry Street is in Cal- is in 197 miles away in Indiana. I looked at Google Maps while we I, were listening to. The- I choose to believe that that was uh, an intentional, uh, not not mistake, but an intentional uh, misdirect. Misdirect. Thank you, misdirect. So people, on, so, so the- people don't go looking for docks well, in the, the loop. well. No, <laughs> not so much that people don't go looking for it, but so that they don't get pigeonholed into a location because they've mm. always they've always been very deliberately vague about. Uh, county's specific location so they like you know they would just sort of like oh it's downtown air quotes you know like so they 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 chose a a specifically wrong name street name just so that they could you know continue that whole plausible deniability of where it actually exists and i forgot i-294 my bad good job my my apologies people (laughs) god how dare you you're the only one who would have known uh but hey lizzie you're fucking wrong. Mm. Yep. And a bit, a little bit of a racist. Yep. Tell me how them boots taste, Lizzie. Exactly. Jesus Christ. It, the police are on no one side. That if there's anything the last, if there's anything the 2020 taught us is that the police are on no side but their own. Yep. Like <sighs> I obviously I didn't I disliked the police before then, but now I actively despise the police so sorry mary I, it's been a while since i've had a good shitting on the cops uh, type of thing but our the, C, the cpd especially is oh my god they just they they cannot stop shooting black people oh in the city. You, you, look at you're talking to the the like, poster child over here in minneapolis holy shit like we we I had know, a report like, a federal government report that was like please stop doing this yeah are, are, are we sure? Doesn't help that, 
It doesn't help that the CPD union president is a total fucking nut job. It's just, it's un, uh, unfortunate, uh, as I was saying earlier, it's unfortunate that uh, they, I, I understand that they have to have this little token, <laughs> no pun intended, this this token line and this, this token thing in the episode. I, under, I understand that they couldn't get away with just doing a strictly like, hey, it's kind of fucked up the way cops treat people of color narrative. They had to have this one little bit of, of both sidesism uh, to to cleanse the palate. Um, I just think it's shitty that they gave it to Lizzie instead of Frank. Mm-hmm. You have, yeah, you have right? Frank just, right there. Right there. Yeah. Like, I don't understand why you had to pull Lizzie out of an episode that she otherwise wouldn't be in to, uh, to do a little tiny bit of character assassination here. Like that's what Frank is for. Just and, and yeah. like, and Jerry is in the other end of the desk doing his best, like, you know, based God, Jerry uh, routine, where he's like speaking truth to power here, and you could have had one of those classic Frank and Jerry interactions where he calls him a dirty hippie and he he calls Frank a bootlicker. Like it could have been that that could have been gold, but instead we have to just like shit on Lizzie because it's like oh you know her time's almost up. So it's I, I that part I you know I mean obviously the part I really don't like is the whole you know cops are on our side thing that's bullshit but the the part the other part that i also dislike is that they they chose to do that via a character who like really doesn't need another fucking headache right now like let's let's maybe not shit on her one more time all right and then uh, let's round out this trio of audio clips uh chen and pratt are talking about everything that's happened today i don't know those days been worse yours or mine you okay yeah you <sighs> i never thought i'd see something like that and it's a lot different when they roll in on a gurney. Yeah, but you stepped up. That's all that counts. Hmm. I did my job. At least we saved one of them. So I heard she gave an ID. Partial one. I filled in some details. What, you saw the guys? Mm, like the lambs as they drove off. Hmm. They were black, huh? I think so. You think so? Well, it was quick, you know. But and I only saw one of them. So that's why the cops are picking up brothers all over town. I told them what I saw. But you saw what you thought you saw. I was trying to help, Greg. Can't you see you fed right into what they always want to jump to? Look, I'm really sorry for what happened to you, but that's on the cops, not me. It's all part of the same thing. What are you talking about? I don't know. So what? Now, I'm a racist? It's just hard not to feel that everybody is when you're lying face down in the street with a cop's foot to the back of your neck. I don't even know what I can say about this, to be honest. Nope, just... Dis- I'm, too, I'm, too, I'm too white. Just discussions that are continuing to happen in 2023. Yeah, and, and that I think this- it, it takes... It, it's, the, it's this scene, I think, that takes it the extra mile in driving the point home that, like... Which, which is, again, I don't think a conversation that we were, certainly we're not having widely in society in 2003. Maybe, I'm sure somebody somewhere was having the conversation. But that sort of internalized, systemic, uh, much more insidious, much much less open level of racism that, you know, call it whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Like, And I'm sure for, for many people, for, for a lot of people, it is unintentional. But, yeah. like, it is just so deeply ingrained in society that, like, 
it's just it, it just is like it's just you can't it's unavoidable and it's like sort of like how pratt says there towards the end it's it's hard to feel like not everybody's not a little bit racist when you're when you are personally faced with the, the circumstances he was in this episode um and so i think it's it, it is an extra layer of of uh you know not necessarily new nuance is not the right word but it is an extra layer of of depth that i mm-hmm. don't think was present in the na- it was certainly not present in the national conversation at this time um but and is only something that i think in the last few years we're starting to kind of grasp on a societal yeah. level and basically kicking and screaming like people are not happy about being i mean <laughs> not to date this episode but like we watched a a a thread burned down in one of the ER Facebook groups just the other day because somebody pointed out what we've kind of privately all long, you know, long talked about as a, uh, a thing in the ER fandom is that like a lot of the, the a lot of the hatred and a lot of the distaste towards uh, Kem as a character can be traced back to uh, race. If you, if you really scratch and do, do a scratch and sniff on it, like you, you eventually will get down to if you they they cannot articulate what it is they don't like about that character, and no matter no amount of pressing and no amount of like, well, what is it that you dislike about the character? What it always gets turned into these like nebulous sort of like buzzword dog whistle things, and like there is this element of just like we don't like her because we don't think she's good enough for Carter. And the reason why we don't think she's good enough for Carter is, you know, you fill in the blank. And it's just like, it's that now, obviously that's a very like impassioned, toxic example. There's far more Mm money, far more mundane, far more casual forms of this kind of phenomenon. But like, it's, it is really surprising and it's really commendable that they took the extra step to, to include this scene here where, uh, Pratt has to sort of lay out the the lay of things for Chen, who's otherwise like kind of unaware of it. And I will say, with that being said, um, again, twenty years ago, we're still or twenty years later, we're still talking about this. Uh, look up a ton of the books from the Black Lives Matter uh, reading lists that were going around mm. during COVID. Go look some of those up. Those highlighted this for me in a way that I, as a privileged white woman, would have never thought about before. And like I. I still have a ton of homework to do. We all do, but like, shit's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Just guys, go read. Like, don't don't listen to us. And even if you're not far too white yeah. white folks, but but, go. but even if you're not going to take the time to go read or do any extra homework, just all I can ask of you is just like, because I'm sure for a lot of people listening to this, for for somebody listening to this, their immediate reaction is going to be, well, not me. Like, and just like the only thing you can do that takes very little effort and takes very little like extra work on your part is to just take a second and step back and think about things in a different way. And just think about it. Think about all those like unintentional kind of inherent biases that you see and experience in the world at all times. And then try to put yourselves in the shoes of a person of color and how those things would affect you. Because the way the system is set up, if you're not part of one of those communities, it doesn't affect you because it's designed not to like it's 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 like i don't know it's it, it, it like lauren was saying it's a it's a conversation that we're we're still having 20 years later and we're only just now starting to even learn how to talk about it much less get anywhere productive um and i don't know it's 
it's just frustrating that we haven't gotten further. <sighs> so, do, do Happy we... Happy to just let you two talk because you can articulate it better than me. I would just be spewing rage. Yeah, I, I ain't articulating shit tonight. We've been over this, uh, doing my best. But should we move on to a super awkward part of this episode? Uh, we go over to Carter and Maggie are stuck in traffic on the way to the bus station we learn from a cop that there's an accident up ahead causing the delays. And Maggie is sitting in the car. I, I joke and say passive-aggressively knitting a like, scarf or something <laughs> while they're talking about Abby. And um, she goes, I know she's work. It runs in the family, but she's so worth it. And Carter's like, man, I know, you know, 23 hours a day. I sit here and, like, think about all the things, like, why we're wrong for each other or all these things that keep happening. But then that one hour, I realize I've been thinking about her for the other 23 and I'm just in love with her. And my notes here, my notes here are, if you spend 23 hours a day wondering if you're wrong for each other, then you probably are. It's like all these people on The Amazing Race that we see. (laughs) (laughs) there's always there's always one couple per season who's like oh we're trying to use this to see if we should get back together and (laughs) even though he's calling me a bitch and calling me worthless and shitty i don't know where our relationship is girl dump his ass and if you're saying it at the end of every episode like imagine what your day-to-day life is dump his ass i'm firm believer oh and abby or not abby maggie's also like communication communication communicate like She's like, you better be there for my kid. So I just, that's the first part of this car ride. We'll get back to it. Um, But then uh, Sean and Susan are on a Ferris wheel, which where the fuck would this be? It's not, it doesn't look like Navy Pier. The only place, it's definitely not the Navy Pier one. The only place I could think of is when they sometimes do like that little like carnival type setup in Lincoln Park. Like the actual zoo. Oh yeah, maybe. But that wouldn't be here in February. It's February. Yeah, be- Where is there a random ass Ferris wheel <laughs> other than the one in Navy Pier setup? Guys, I know racism's a huge issue, but they fuck up on so much else this episode. Won't someone okay. think of Daniel, the geography? Daniel can articulate about the racism. I can ar- articulate about all of the geography fuck ups, and you can articulate about Ferris wheels. And just do this to bother Daniel doing the hands. Anyway, um, and. He's Sean's talking about all the wishes that he has about like life and how much more time he thought he had. And he goes, and I have this one thing. And she's like, what? And he goes, I can't explain it very well. And then he leans in and he kisses her very chastely, very sweet. Like there's no tongue or anything creepy or gross like that. It's still gross because it's a power thing. Elderly woman, not elderly, but older woman, young teenage boy, all that stuff. But uh, he goes, I kiss pretty good for a dead kid, huh? And in a vacuum, if... We weren't much more in tune with this in 2023 than we were 20 years ago. Think, oh yeah, that's kind of cute. But right now, it's like, why? Just why? I went back and forth on it. I was like, yeah. I was like, I mean, it's definitely there. If if the it's one of those things again. If the genders were reversed, it would be a much bigger deal. Yeah. Yep. And that's what I have to remind myself because it's like I'm 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 pulled into the endearing like, oh that's sweet. But then like you said, if the genders were reversed, I'd be like. That's not cool. Yeah, at least they so. at least they had the 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 foresight to have Susan clearly be like taken off guard and be like, she's she she does the bare 
minimum amount of participation in a kiss that you can possibly do and still legally by definition have it be called a kiss he basically just runs into her face with his mouth like that's <laughs> he headbutts her with his mouth because she like does not pucker her lips at all she kind of and she's like act, she's backing away but the ferris wheel seat is just only so big so like she's she's mi- sending out every signal that like this is not really okay but like you get a you know dying kid pass so like i'm not gonna not gonna like slug you over it but uh it's uh so all thing all that to say like i feel like they handle it as best as they could to to still be telling this kind of story like i I, i'm fine with it 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 passed my 2023 smell test okay uh anyway patients are being brought in from the police chase uh oh look it's the cops that arrested gallant and pratt mitch is a bitch Yes, Mitch is indeed a bitch. Uh, Gallant isn't comfortable assisting, but Pratt drags him in. Is like, dude, you ju- this is part of the job. You just got to fucking do it, dude. Hmm. And uh, one little uh, quirk, quirky little note here: the paramedic that's bringing the cop in is the same one that got busted in the ambulance with Malucci uh, way back when. Uh, whose name I'm just now learning, Nikki Lumley. Uh, that was the the paramedic's name. She's uh, of course the. Uh, uh, lady who was uh, she went on to Better Call Saul, I think. Uh, she was one of the the um, in like the first or second season of that show. The uh, the lo- yes. local politician is embezzling money and his crazy wife. Yes, the wife. Yeah, yeah. that's this actress. But this is her last appearance. Yep. So this basically, I I sought this out and included it just so I could include it in the end of season wrap up list, just so I can have that name that uh you know lizzie and jake will like have a fit over and be like who are you talking about this doesn't matter i want to go uh, home like that me too i also won't know who the fuck she you'll is be, you'll be on your phone it's fine like i'm not <laughs> we're not talking to you sweetie <laughs> uh but we then go back to the car uh where which we didn't we didn't mention in the first half of this when the cop comes to the window and and Carter has to do thing. He does the delightful jeep window thing where he has to yes. unzip his window. Unzip. <laughs> it's like he's driving a tent. Like it's just the worst. Isn't that what jeeps Pretty are? Pretty much a mobile tent. <laughs> uh It's a jeep thing, Daniel. You wouldn't it's so, get it. You're right. I wouldn't. I would never get it. Uh I did want one when I was a kid though. I wanted a like Looking back on it, this is how stupid I was as a child. I wanted a, uh, like, spearmint teal Jeep. Like, that was my, like, that was that was my dream car when I was, like, you know, six. So That fucks. Girl. See, whereas my dream car is just something that won't break yeah, down. Well. Mine, mine has always been a dark green Mini Cooper. Interesting. Like, if I had my license and all the money, that's what I would do get. Do they still make those? Yep. They do. Yeah. All right. Anyway, uh, we're back in the car. Maggie's admiring the ring uh, and telling Carter about how good marriage can be. Uh, and she says that she always went back to drinking. Is she talking about herself or Abby? Herself. Because uh. cause she's saying, like, oh, you know, my marriage fell apart. I always went back to drinking. Mm, gotcha. It's running the family. Yeah. but But that maybe Abby would be stronger. Uh, and of course, like Lauren was saying, she kind of pa- is passive aggressively knitting throughout this and uh, kind of giving Carter all these incidental doubts. Um, and this is where we get the line where she says, I don't want you to fix her and you have to love. Don't want you to want to, to fix want her. to fix her. You're right. I fucked up that line read there. Uh, and he says, yeah, she says, you have to love her even if she never changes anything. 
Uh, yeah. Which despite which really rings differently than the first half of the conversation where she was like, hey, I know my daughter's a fucking mess, but it's she's totally worth it, I promise. Like, she kind of sounds like a salesman the first half of the conversation where she's like, please, take my daughter, please. Like, just take her off my hands. Lauren, you can get your dream car for just under $17,000 because these car prices are insane. Okay, I as someone who's never really had to pay attention to buying a car except for the one time we did it, I have no scope of if that's cheap or insane. For an 11-year-old Mini yeah, I was Cooper say, if with it's 50, a used car, if it's a used it, car, that's a lot of money. Thank yeah. you. Like I I don't know how much is a banana? $30? <laughs> like what? Just used used to be like 12 to 10 to 12. Would usually get that. If it's an 11-year-old car and it's a mini like a tiny little thing like that, like looks like, it looks like you would have to pull it backwards to start it. Uh I would <laughs> <laughs> I would say 10 to 12 would probably be about. Yeah. It's still my still my dream car. A 2010 a 2012 mini hardtop in four screen. Mm. Uh, but we then go back to the trauma room where the detective doesn't want Gallant and Pratt working on him. And this is where he we have the delightful little exchange where he tries to defend his actions, says that he was just doing his job. Uh, and Pratt says, uh, so let us do ours. Gallant, uh, they, so Carrie's also working on this trauma with him, and she's adamant that this guy needs a chest tube, and, but Gallant's not so sure. And uh, he pushes back, so we get to see like a little bit of like uh, – a little bit of a spine from Gallant. Like, he really stands up for himself. And it turns out he ends up being right. So good on him. And then uh, then we get possibly the line of the episode with a really great perspective shot where they... <laughs> I'm just picturing, like, the filming of this where it was basically they had... They had Mackay Pfeiffer and Sharif Atkins, like, staring down the barrel of this camera with what seems like a little bit of a fisheye lens. Uh, and... Uh, you know, obviously, they're the, you're in the POV of the patient here, and he says, this must be a really scary part for you, huh? All the white folks left, and now it's just a couple of with knives. Uh, <laughs> so uh, The fact that they actually said the word, though, on... Yeah, yeah. they said the N-word. Yeah. yeah. Couldn't get away with anything. Well, that's that's why we didn't get anything better than Peckerwood at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. You, gotta, you <laughs> had to save puts. a couple, uh, had to save some get-out-of-jail-free guards. With the sensors, it's like the one. It's like the one fuck that you get in PG thirteen right. movies. Got to use it wisely. Uh, so we then go over to Carter, uh, late coming into his dinner with Abby. Uh, Abby's complaining how cold it was because he made her wait outside in February, uh, in Chicago. Boyfriend of the year, folks. Um, we'll we'll circle back to that in just a bit. Uh, Susan brings Sean home. Mom is pissed, but not that pissed. Like. <laughs> She should be more grouchy for somebody who went through the trouble of like going to the head of the ER to be like, Hey, see that lady over there. I don't want her near my son until he goes home. Then that same doctor absconds with her dying son and she brings him home 12 hours later. And mom's just like, grumble, grumble, grumble. You get inside and finish your homework. And then still lets her go upstairs. Right. Like I was like, are you kidding me? She should be so much more pissed. I don't know. Uh, and then back in the one more time in the trauma room, uh, the cop is now stable and, uh, you know, Galat or Pratt is trying to subtly, not even subtly. He's just trying to like gently encourage the cop that maybe you ought to apologize to Galat seeing as he did just, you know, kind of help save your life. And the guy just continues to justify his shit instead of just apologizing to Galat. We keep you safe. Yeah. You need cops like me to blah, 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 whatever. Okay, man. Are we supposed to 
do find the scumbags that do this stuff. Okay, man. That's not loaded language at all. Um, let's go to our last audio clip here. Carter and Abby are at dinner, and the place is totally empty. Are you going to tell me what this is all about? I thought we both just deserved a break, especially after a day like today. Mm-hmm. Feels more like a month. But what's it really all about? So you think this is a keeper? The restaurant? Us. You and me. Are you okay? I've uh, spent a long time looking for a relationship that I thought would stick. Sometimes it was the wrong person. Excuse me. Sometimes I guess I wasn't ready. We're in the uh, right place, but I think I am now. I really think I am now. Are you? John. Because I really want this two stick. Me too. I know that uh, we've had a rough time and that there's still a lot of stuff that we have to get through. I think we're doing okay. I think that we're <laughs> growing, we're changing. Do you? I don't know if people ever really change. But I, I know what you mean. You do? I think I do. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see what's for dessert. That's it? You bought out this whole place just for that? That? the chocolate souffle. <sighs> chocolate souffle. So th- this episode is, uh, it's written by David Zabel, who, uh, for those of the know, is uh, sort of the godfather of the uh, Luca and Abby pairing, uh, and is, is sort Ooh. of the one that shepherds that whole thing through to the very end. Uh, and uh, I choose to believe that he intentionally wrote this scene to be as excruciating as possible to sit through. Like, I choose to believe <laughs> I... that this was him. This was his visual thesis for why this can't work. <laughs> I adore, though, the body language and everything. And, like, Noah Wiley does a great job with this. I'll give him that. He does such a beautiful job of illustrating talking himself out of it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, not a bad can... scene. Don't get me wrong. It's not a bad yeah, scene. Yeah, but it's, but you're right. It absolutely, you have to sit and breathe with it. And it just like, it's like, oh my God, you two get it together. And you can see Abby being like, and? Right. I don't know what you want from me, dude. Like, what's going on here? Right. Yeah. And I, I tend to, think and again this is probably reading too deeply into it but like the 
um, you know, he, he buys out this whole restaurant and like, it's, ju- it's just the two of them. They, there's, there's not that there's no camera cuts, but there's relatively few camera cuts. It's a relatively still scene, and they kind of just make you sit in the discomfort in this in this uh, exchange here. And like, I think there is something to be gleaned from the fact that there's like no background players, there's no noise, there's no restaurant noise, there's no hustle and bustle. Like, this is a pairing that only works and has only worked in sort of chaos and in sort of mm-hmm. like when there's something going on to like distract from how dysfunctional it is at its core. And so like yeah. when you put, when you strip all that away and you're left with just two people sitting in a room by themselves, there's just not that much there. And like, mm-hmm. it's uh, like I said, I think it's kind of his like visual novel explaining why this not only is this not gonna work this could never work like this there is just nothing to to be saved here there's nothing to be uh you know preserved it is just to be they're they're real at least he is you know i don't and like maybe the, the only thing i don't like about this is how like kind of stupid they make abby seem like they kind of make abby seem a little oblivious like where she's just like, oh, what are you talking about? Like, you know, like I feel like Abby's smarter than that. I feel like Abby would understand what is happening here. Like he already said the words, you know, last episode. So like she knows that's what's on his mind. She knows to set up this whole thing. Like give the give the girl more credit. I feel like she would call him out on his own shit here and be like, well, clearly you planned on proposing, but now you are having second thoughts. Do you want to talk about that? Do you want to dig? Do you want to expand on that a little bit, or should we just? you know call it here so i don't know it's uh that's the only my only criticism of it is that i think it makes abby look a little dumb um or not dumb but just oblivious just kind of doe-eyed yeah yeah oh that's a good way to put it doe-eyed yeah i like that uh but and i just love how he just as he's talking i love the stealthy like ring back in pocket thing which i'm sure she sees right it's not that hard to miss dress pants but uh, dress pants are a fucking nightmare anyway like the insides of those pockets are made out of like you know angel armpit hair so like they're just clinging to your leg and like not really uh, not really unfurling the way they're supposed to so he's trying to shove this big ass box back into him like it's just there's no way he was smooth about that just but then uh Susan goes upstairs to check on Sean, which again, why is mom okay with this? And I should note earlier when they were on the Ferris wheel, they had a discussion about um, paper cranes representing wishes to like get better Mm. and stuff that will come into play shortly. But he shows off his fancy new hospice bed in his room and they just kind of have a nice like goodbye moment where they're both like, yep, I'm sure you'll try hard. Yep, I'm sure I will. And he gives her a giant paper bag and says, open it later. And they hold hands, and that scene fades to black. Great. And then at the admit desk, uh, Michael Pena tries to apologize and thank Gallant for what happened. Like, he walks a little bit of the line that Mitch gave, but then also is like, yeah, we probably could have been better about it, and thank you for what you did. Like, he at least half owns up to it, which is way better than what we were seeing from Mitch. Mm. So, I guess little bit less shit in the shit sandwich <laughs> leave it leave it to the uh the cop uh who happens to be also be a person of color to uh to do the emotional heavy lifting of coming in and giving the half-assed apology like 
it's great. I mean, it's again, it's very, very uh, true to life. That ends up happening a lot. And then Lucas sees Chen out in the ambulance bay. He commends her for saving Trina's life, and he heads home while she waits for Pratt. And Pratt approaches her, and they have a nice little mini heartfelt discussion. And Pratt says, I've always acted like it doesn't bother me, but you know something? It bothers me. I think that's a fair takeaway from the events of mm-hmm. this day. Uh, but we're not done yet because Susan's got to do a little bit of eco-terrorism uh, in the name of uh, a dying child. Uh, Susan is on uh, on the what I believe is correct me if I'm wrong. Is this not the same bridge that Mark tosses the gun from in uh, season yep. three? Uh, yeah, uh, I think so. Don't quote me on that. It but looks I'm like sure. exactly the same location. Um, but uh, Susan is uh, walking along underneath the bridge and uh, opens the bag from Sean. And it's full of little origami cranes. And so she, uh, like I said, does a little bit of eco-terrorism here by dumping them into the river. Uh, sure hope those are biodegradable. Because uh, if not... In a van down by the not, river. If not, holy shit. Because like, that bag is full. <laughs> she just dumps them yep. all out. It's okay. At this point, the Chicago River is still kind of literally, figuratively and literally full mm. of shit. Uh, and then one last scene uh, back at uh, Abby's place where uh, Carter is in the other room in the shower. She's yelling after him if he wants tea. Uh, we find out Maggie calls in, uh, says that she's snowed in in Wisconsin. Her bus is delayed, and she apologizes for ever having been a burden. Uh, and while they're talking, uh, Abby is you know cleaning things up, straightening things up around the kitchen. She picks up Carter's jacket and uh, finds the ring as it falls out. And we end the episode there as she again she had to, she knows that he's playing, like he said it at the last episode like what you think he just randomly decided to buy out a restaurant like i uh that's just the part that that's the thing that's that's Come on, that's lady. my chicago geography is that like they made a, they go. made there abby look stupid like <laughs> <laughs> finally we all have something to nitpick from yeah. this episode um but it's actually not a it's. I think it's still pretty. It's still a pretty good. Oh yeah. episode, no, though. It's, it's a great episode. Like nitpicks and character assassinations aside, it's still a very good episode. A very good forty-five minute episode of television. Yeah. And I would say probably like in the seven point five to eight range. So uh, definitely still a. We're still trending in the right yeah. direction we're, for the season. We are That's on the sure. upswing, yeah. digging our way out of the doldrums. We got done with the episode last night, and Lizzie and I both looked at each other and we we're like. That was a good episode. Like, <laughs> it was the first one in a while where I sat there and I'm like, yeah, I'd watch this one again. Yeah. Like, this was a good, like, upsetting subject matter aside, yeah, this was a good mm-hmm. one. Yeah, it's a, it's an episode that still manages to retain, I mean, for better or worse, it still manages to retain a lot of modern relevance, you know? Like, there's a, there are some things in the show as a whole that I don't know translate that well to a younger modern audience, you know? But, like, this is an episode that I feel like, for the most part, you could show to somebody much younger than us and they would be able to get something out of it, you know, and and it wouldn't it wouldn't feel like this tone deaf, uh, you know, 20 years ago network television type of take on a very serious subject like this. I feel like it it takes a pretty, pretty nuanced uh, approach to it. Can't say anything better than that. Lauren, anything else? No, I'm just looking at what all the listeners had to say and, all right, and well, celebrating inside. Take it away. 
Take it away, young lady. Hey, I'll do my best. Uh, first off, we have Alina M says, Maggie just uplifts every episode she's in. Her disappointment is so palpable when she leaves the hospital to go home and breaks down to Carter, almost like a child, that all she wanted was her family to be happy together. A child. <laughs> Sorry. Hmm? <laughs> every time I hear that. Did I? No, every time I hear a child, I have to do the vine thing. A child. <laughs> Thank you, because I was like, did I fuck something up? Uh, the conversation between Maggie and Carter in his Jeep was very telling. Carter becomes increasingly agitated when Maggie keeps talking about how he should not try or want Abby to change. I think she's mainly reflecting on her own life here. What does she really know about Carter and Abby's relationship? But I was glad she burst his bubble. I do believe that Carter has realized a while ago he can't change or fix Abby, I, I think it's also clear that he wants and needs her to change. Not because she's not good enough for him, but because all her problems create a wall between them, resulting in Carter not receiving the love and attention in return he so desperately needs. Hello, mommy issues. The conversation in the restaurant makes it painfully clear to him that things are not going to change. The proposal attempt was stupid anyway. Why would Carter rent out a whole restaurant if he wants to surprise her, and when he's distancing from his financial status all the time and if he hates his family money why would he be okay giving abby a family ring isn't that contaminated obviously abby must have known what carter was about to do so i would have expected a look of disappointment pain or sadness when she found the ring in carter's pocket but not a look of confusion she's not stupid clearly <laughs> clearly the creators must hate elizabeth corday or alex kingston if they only gave her Racial lines and so little screen time. Oh, and I hope those paper cranes were biodegradable. Next up, we have Heather R. Says, at the time, being a fan of Carter and Abby together, until she got back with Luca and all was right with the world, I was excited for this potential proposal. The teenage me thought it was so romantic that he'd buy out the whole restaurant to propose. So I remember being kind of annoyed when he was just like, hey, let's order dessert. And her response is understandably like, really? That's it? You bought out the whole place for nothing? It was a lot of buildup, especially with his yelling proposal on the roof, to end with an abrupt thud after Abby says people don't really change. At least Carter didn't spend his money on a video board proposal at a Blackhawks game or something. That would have been much worse. <sighs> I know the conversation between Carter and Maggie apparently changes his mind too, like the seed was planted and then Abby sealed it with the change comment. But I also keep thinking back to the quarantine episode where they're eating pizza in an abandoned hospital, having just gotten together as a couple, and they have their first argument because Carter wants to change and fix her. Now in this episode, it just seems like same shit, different day. I do get a good laugh when Carter shows Susan the ring and her line, I love you too, Carter, but it's over. At uh, Topher says, yay, my first listener response. I had forgotten there was so much more to this episode than just launching my lifelong crush on Chris Pine into an incredible into an incredible career. Yes, I've been binging the podcast just to be able to get to this on time to comment. I had forgotten that this was the episode where Docs is attacked. Losing Docs was definitely felt. Losing Docs definitely felt. You had it. You had it I got right the there. first time. I did, and I did. Fuck. Losing Docs was definitely felt through throughout the rest of the series. I am so sorry, Topher. I will say that I wish we got more of Jing Mei and Luca as a pairing. At the very beginning of the episode, before uncovering the carnage, their banter had me wishing for more of them. 
I do feel that Lucas' cynicism and salty delivery when being asked what's on his mind was a little on the nose for my tastes. God, that was this episode. Fuck, this is such a packed episode. <laughs> and, and yet the uh, and yet it was actually really breezy to get through. Like your your notes were yeah. only like four pages long. Like it's They were short, it's, yeah. It's it's a dense episode, but it doesn't drag. No. Uh Susan and Sean's storyline is one I remember very fondly from my first watch back in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. I only rewatched this episode and not the rest though, so my memories are foggy. I will say I remember finding this a very fitting ending for that story. Susan freeing the cranes always makes me cry. The end of this episode also reminded me why I love Pratt and Chen together so much. They might even be my second favorite pairing on the show. This is a lot less interesting than I thought my thoughts were when starting this, but to be honest, I really wanted to gush over Chris Pine because I've been obsessed with him since I was seven. But I did actually really love this episode for far more than that, and I'm glad I decided to give it a rewatch for this. All right, Aaron... Last but certainly not least, at the full time dad, you know what you guys know what I'm here for. It's just you and a couple of N words with knives. Aaron, I'm sorry I can't actually <laughs> say it. It ruins the delivery, but uh, honestly, this is the single greatest line read in the history of the show, and the fact that producers, writers, and directors let Mackay get this one off, huge salute. Sometimes it's necessary. The role reversal of Pratt and Gallant was also a nice wrinkle. I was surprised at how subdued Pratt was about the entire ordeal, but ultimately I get it. When it happens to you enough, Rachel profiling police misdeeds, you learn to control what you can control. But it was great to see Gallant want to take on the world and display some righteous anger. On the subject of racial profiling, this is one of a couple times where Lizzie has made a comment that has raised my eyebrows and made me feel some type of way. And made me look at her relationship with Peter with a touch of scrutiny. Was she fetishizing my guy? Does she really think racial profiling is the move? What would Peter have said to her? Please don't tell me you voted for W, Lizzie. Well, she didn't, because I don't think she's a citizen, but... uh, Hey! Hey! uh, Once again, I'll let the others opine about Carter's pretty crappy second attempt at a proposal, Susan's really bittersweet conclusion to a quietly solid arc with Patrick Fugit, and above and other aspects of this episode. Oh, let's all take a moment to salute Doc Magoo's. Chen and Luca mark the last ER staff to set foot in the cafe that was as integral of a cast member as the hospital in the show's early seasons. I really miss this place down the final stretch of the show. A mini mart in a tavern just don't quite cut it. All right, that's going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash Podcast. Where, for the low price of only $5 a month, you can get an assortment of stickers, including one featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, and over 70 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a free-form monthly bonus show called The Lounge, movie reviews where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member, and character retrospectives where we reflect on departed main cast members. We would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast, and we are at Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Sign Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel Worker. Folks, find you at. They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is y-o-u.e-l. <laughs> they can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren Worker. Folks, find you at. Folks can find me on Instagram at lobo92345, where climbing continues to be my one and only personality trait. Sounds about right. Uh, you can find me on 
Do it. It's Twitter. It's nope. Twitter still. Do it. Instagram. Do what? it. It's fine on Instagram. I am at random gamer one. That's G A M. That's still G A M three R. I gotta. I gotta maintain the brand, of course. And someone already has the base name. Fucker. I want it back. Fucker. Yeah, fucker. Fucker. I want it back. Um. Anyway, thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time, and have a great week.